0: I could do for you, my dear. Uh, no. Because I want to make you happy. Uh, good. When you're happy, the pig is happy. Uh, wonderful. Oh, my love, my life. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me for being so forward, but I'm a liberated pig.
1: Hi-ho, and welcome once again to A Feat of Lunatic Daring, the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick Jackson, how is your life?
2: It is moving along. It is current. We're recording this in December, and we've got like our first rain in a good while. Now that I've started the podcast talking about weather. How are you (laughs) doing tonight, Chad? We had snow. We had actual factual
1: snow on uh, Wednesday. It didn't stick or anything. but. Things are, things are fine. A little tired, <laughs> but, uh, I'm excited to talk about some Muppets tonight. This is a feed of Lunatic Daring. We're a podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. You probably knew that because you clicked on the little thing that said play. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check out our social media at Lunatic Daring on Instagram and Twitter, and then our website, lunaticdaring.com, where you can find our watch list and also our bibliography. Right now we're in the middle of, uh, uh, the Muppet Show, two episodes at a time. And uh, we're going to keep going. So let's do it.
0: Wow. Well, welcome to the show. And what a fantastic program we have for you tonight. Our guest star is the beautiful and talented Florence Henderson. Boy, she is really great. But to open the show, one of the most exciting acrobatic acts in the entire business, the Bouncing Borsellino Brothers. They've been bouncing since they were baby boys. In fact, the doctor wasn't even sure they were boys until they stopped bouncing.
1: So Nick, I know you have to know who Florence
2: Henderson was. I actually recognize this one, yes. <laughs> okay, you didn't know who she was? I did. I I feel bad because I I know that during the 90s she would pop up in random movies as cameos, but I can't remember what any of them were.
1: First episode we're going to talk about is episode number 107, produced in June of 1976. It aired in October or November, depending on what country you were in. It's directed by Peter Harris and written by Burns, London, Henson and Jewel, just like the ones previously with our very special guest star, Miss Florence Henderson. For children of the 70s, and the 80s, really, thanks to reruns, and probably the 90s and later too because of things like Nick at Night and TV Land, the name Florence Henderson means one thing. Mom. From 1969 to 1974, she played mother of six Carol Brady on the iconic American sitcom The Brady Bunch. Born in Indiana in 1934, Florence was a singer and an actor, a veteran of stage and screen. She made her Broadway debut in 1952 and originated the title role of Fanny, in which she made almost 900 performances. After her time spent as a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls and a few boys, the second half of her career was mostly spent playing the role of Florence Henderson on game shows and panel shows and talk shows and in commercials for Wesson cooking oil and very famously for Polydent uh, denture cream, actually. And reality shows as well. She starred in the 6th season of VH1's The Surreal Life and in the 11th season of Dancing with the Stars, in which she was the 5th contestant sent home. She was also in the music video for Weird Al Yankovic's Amish Paradise, which makes me very happy, because Weird Al makes me very happy. During all these appearances and, and, and others, Henderson liked to play with her image as America's favorite housewife, sometimes embracing it and sometimes subverting it like when she co-starred in an ad for Pepsi Twist with Black Sabbath co-founder and metal god Ozzy Osbourne.
3: Sharon, the kids into the Osmonds! Oh, there, there, dear. Go back
1: to sleep. In her final years, Florence hosted a cooking show on a channel called Retirement Living TV. And I've never heard of it, but I can I can guess what it probably was. <laughs> she died in 2016 of heart failure at the age of 82. Fun fact I found out about her is that in 1962, she became the first woman to co-host The Tonight Show, helping fill in the gap between Jack Parr's departure and Johnny Carson's uh, 30-year reign. And I'm a little too young for first-run Brady Bunch, but when I was a kid, Brady Bunch was in heavy syndication, and it was definitely a show I watched. Do you ever watch any Brady Bunch growing up?
2: Like I remember being very invested in the the 90s remake movie that was just... Sliding as many jokes past the radar as they could. The first one's funny. That's right. There were two of them, weren't there?
1: The first Brady Bunch movie is actually a pretty funny film at a little kind of ahead of its time and how kind of meta-jokey it got. Hmm. Movies like it. I think they made a Beverly Hillbillies movie after that, starring Jim Varney, better known as Ernest.
2: That did happen.
1: Yeah, it did. It totally happened. <laughs> um, with Jim Varney as uh, Jed Clampett. I don't know. Uh, eventually, they got to like bewitched and stuff like that. These kind of these remakes of these 60s sitcoms. These things all go, these are all cyclical, right? It's when the people who are in charge are remaking things or from when they were younger, right? That's it's why we're getting so many Marvel and Star Wars and comic book things and revamps of movies like Iron Eagle and why we have a Karate Kid TV show on Netflix. It's all because that's the age group of people that are now making the decisions.
2: True, although some of them are definitely better done than others. Like, I'll still stand behind the Josie and the Pussycats movie.
1: I like the Josie and the Pussycats movie. <laughs> it's really solid. No new faces in episode 107, nope, nobody that we haven't seen before. The backstage story in this one is just kind of all about pigs. Yep. Yeah. Weird, semi-racial allegories. We have our, our Muppet theme. And, uh, then Kermit comes out and he introduces our first act right off the bat.
0: The Bouncing Borzolino Brothers.
2: Who are a group of pig, I guess they're gymnasts? I think, like, so when I saw their their outfits initially, I was wondering if it was a Harlem Glo- Globetrotters thing. <laughs> Right. And I knew that would be wrong. they was like they couldn't stop bouncing. I'm like, are they going to become the basketballs? Like, what is? Because I I think there was like a really bad '70s Harlem Globetrotters cartoon where there was like an anthropomorphic basketball that would just talk, sort of like Scrappy Doo. But I I might be misremembering that.
1: Yeah, maybe. I, I remember them being on Scooby Doo. One of the things on this show that people have to remember is that Kermit is the one booking these guests. Mm-hmm. He's to blame for all the like terrible performances on the show. Really. He doesn't have very discerning taste.
2: I think he probably deserves a break, though, because you have to wonder just how how deep that barrel is that he's scraping and what his budget's like if he can get Florence Henderson on it.
1: That that is absolutely true. Kermit's definitely working on a on a shoestring budget. But like last week, we had the Marvin Suggs and the phone, who he found at a train station, I think he said (laughs) So like, you know, this time he brings in the bouncing Borsellino brothers and they come out. And, you know, one thing to point out is one of the pigs in there is the one with the Bushy eyebrows that will be Doctor Strange pork. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he pl- it's the same puppet that played um I forget the name, but it was the Doctor Zaeus stand-in in the Planet of the Apes parody in the Sex and Violence special. <laughs> the whole joke is they make a human pyramid and then it falls over. I think they
2: crash through the floor, didn't they?
1: They do crash through the floor because uh, the one that they call Tiny. Well, that makes me sad because Tiny Zeus Lister just passed away. Yeah, that's true. Uh, to date this, uh, Tiny Tiny Lister passed away yesterday or today. If, uh, I believe it sounds like COVID related.
2: I think it was just, I don't know any of the details. But I, I kind of feel the need to like have a Fifth Element Friday double feature, which I'm surprised I haven't done.
1: Uh, So the bouncing, so they're a bunch of pigs. They get in and they do a really terrible act. And then Tiny, who's the who's the who later they say he weighs like 900 pounds or something, which seems a little extreme.
2: It's very dense.
1: He gets on top of the pile and they crash through the floor. Uh, it's it's not the best opening
2: number. <laughs> no, I there's not a I mean, I guess you sort of get your your handsome explosion at the end of it, but it's. I mean, you see it coming.
1: Yeah, it's a very slow sketch because the whole joke of it is he's counting like what? And then he finally gets on top, and the gag is that he falls. And I just thought, eh, that's fine. It didn't really do much for me. But then backstage, the the Borsellino brothers come off stage arguing, and Kermit tells them they're very disappointing. <laughs> um, that they very <laughs> much disappointed him. Which I thought was cute. He's not the most successful booker. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and then he he tells George to uh, <laughs> tell oh he tells George to go clean up the stage.
0: I am sick and tired of cleaning up after them lousy pigs. Well, George, you can always quit. What? And get out of show business?
1: I said, I can't really tell you much about the backstage story except it involves some pigs, I guess.
2: I mean, there's there's more that we'll be able to get to as we as we move through the episode. Because Piggy's courtship style is coming into full focus. Piggy is very aggressive in this episode. She is very aggressive. Temptation was aggressive a few episodes back, but that was a single scene. Yeah. This is something entirely different. This is like borderline not okay. Um, so uh,
1: so then we have our, our my favorite, of course, the Talking Houses bit sketch. <laughs> the how one house, this is his brother has ghosted in his attic. And so he's on America's 10 most haunted list. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait for these sketches to be gone. They will be gone. <laughs> the houses, I, I don't believe the Talking Houses make it out of the first season. And I'm, I'm excited for
2: that. I, I mean, they generally sort of feel like they're filling time.
1: They're just bumpers. They're, they're interstitials to cleanse your palate in between bigger pieces, right? And then we get our first production number with our guest star. It's a song called Elusive Butterfly. It was a song from 1965 by a guy named Bob Lind. I had never heard of him before, uh, who was like an American folk rock musician. This number... And I guess Florence is kind of like in this but like kind of misty forest. I don't know how you would describe where she's
2: at. The way that it was shot reminded me of, uh, and I mean, it's this came out before that, so it might have been drawn from this or some of the techniques might have been drawn from it but it kind of reminded me of the uh, the framing sequences for Shelley Duvall's fairy tale series, or fairytale theater. Like just the way that she's set up and the way that she's shot, there's not a lot going on. You've, you've got a couple of butterfly Muppets, but there's not a lot, a lot going on in this particular section.
1: This song is so damn 70s. <laughs> That's all I could think of during this number was, one, I, I didn't care for the number one because like you said, there's not much going on. There's no punchline to it. It's just her singing a song.
2: With some of the other ones like um, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You or Fever, there was always sort of a, I I don't know if it's appropriate to say that it's a subplot, but there's a second string running through the sketch. Yeah. And we don't really have that here.
1: No, it's just Florence Henderson in kind of a flowing outfit singing a really hippie sounding song. (laughs) Or not even hippie sounding, singing a really like the mid-70s adult contemporary folk song.
2: If you were to ask me anything about the song outside of the fact that it features a butterfly, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about it. So I'm curious if there's like a cover out there that illuminates some other aspect of it.
1: I don't know. I didn't care enough to look up like another version of the song because I thought it was so dull. I mean, it would have been a known song Hmm. in 76, I think. Watching these two episodes that we watched for tonight, we're going to see, I think, night and day the difference between an episode where the guest star is just kind of on it and one where the episode. Or one that caters to the guest star more closely.
2: Mm-hmm. I am wondering a little bit about just like the because I know that they were broadcasts out, bro, or broadcast out of order, and some of them are touched up after. I'm thinking back to the episode with Robo Kermit and him hitting on Picky more. This seems like the way that this episode's framed makes it seem like it's the first time that Picky's really acting on her attraction
1: the The attraction level kind of comes and goes throughout the season. Remember, we're still we're still pretty early. They're still trying to figure this out. Hmm. They're still trying to figure out characters. They're still tossing piggy back and forth between two operators. You know, hmm. they're they're still trying to work out the kinks. But I just thought this n- number was. Um, Now, this is 76, so this is after the Brady Bunch is off the air, but just after the Brady Bunch. And so I'm I'm wondering what kind of image Florence Henderson was trying to put over at this point in her career. Because like I said, she did spend a lot of time later in her career just kind of perioding herself, Mm -hmm. you know, commercials for kitchen stuff because she was America's favorite housewife, Carol Brady. And I just wonder, this is right in the wake of it, so everyone knows she's Carol Brady when they're watching this. So, I guess because she did have a background on the stage, my guess is she wanted to sing some songs. So, then we go backstage and Kermit is yelling at the Borsellino brothers for how terrible they are and kicks them out of the theater. And Piggy is really turned on by this.
2: Yeah. (laughs) She's
1: just really turned on that Kermit's getting mean.
2: I'm not sure how blurry that line is either. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm pretty sure at least once during the course of this episode, Kermit's like, I don't I don't want this. No,
1: but it's kind of a funny idea that that she hears Kermit just getting, you know, what she considers manly (laughs) by yelling at these pigs. (laughs) And that gets her to basically. um, uh, Attack him. Yeah, throws herself on him and starts kissing him.
2: Although I don't I, I imagine it'll become more or less familiar as things go on. Typically in my memory, when Piggy has these affectionate attacks, I don't remember hearing her oink.
1: This is early. I mean, you know, we're later going to get to a moment in this where she bites Florence Henderson. hmm And that's not something Piggy will ever do again. <laughs> Frank is still figuring out Piggy, and she's a little more feral. She's not quite the diva yet. I mean, she's got a little bit of that, of that in her, but she's more just kind of a jealous psychopath. Yeah. So then we're, uh, we're at the dance. Nothing real memorable there. George and Mildred dancing together, of course. Um, Piggy is dancing with another pig. And there's a joke about them being floor hogs.
2: That is sort of the theme of this episode, though. That weird, like, not quite prejudice against pigs.
1: Pigs are definitely a... Um, Protected class or <laughs> a protected group in in the Muppet Show, like they are a minority. I don't I don't, I don't think it's fair to call them like a, a minority surrogate, but they they do fill that role sometimes. The pigs are, but the pigs tend to be very proud that they're pigs, but they also tend to be kind of dumb. So I don't know. <laughs> then we get to talk spot where uh, again Kermit's macking on the guest.
2: Yeah, no, like completely unabashedly, like so.
0: Your eyes are like two limpid pools.
3: Oh, that's very sweet. Kurt. And when I
0: look into your eyes, I'm spellbound. Oh. And, and when I look into those eyes, I see, I see. Come on, tell me what you see. I see trouble. <coughs> 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 well, well, well. While the pig's away, the frog will play. <laughs> hi, piggy. Don't hi, piggy. Me, you frog stealer. Uh, uh,
2: and Florence was sort of playing playing the middle pretty effectively, though, because she reassured yeah. Piggy, but you don't necessarily believe that she wasn't appreciating Kermit's attention.
1: Oh, no, she's pretty duplicitous in this, I think. hmm Because, like, she tells Piggy, like, oh, Piggy, she lies, because she's like, no, Piggy, he was just practicing all the things he wanted to say to you.
2: <laughs> the look on Kermit's face, <laughs> because you could throw him to the wolves, or...
0: <laughs> oh! Oh, my dear, I'm sure you know about men, but mm, honey, make one move toward that frog's bod. Mm.
1: And then she leaves and Kermit's like, all right, now that she's gone. <laughs> and he starts talking sweet to her again. And she like touches his arm and then Piggy comes in and.
0: I told you I never would <laughs> have
1: Karate chops her twice. <laughs> And then bites her. That feels like Oz was just kind of winging it. Yeah. The, it just feels like Oz was just going nuts.
2: They told me that I was too subdued with Piggy before. I guess I need to push it up to 11.
1: Luckily, she doesn't seem to have teeth. <laughs> uh, and then we have the UK Spot, which is a song that I love. When Henson passed away at his memorial, it, it kind of ends in, it, with a like 20-minute uh, medley sung by all the surviving core group of the Muppet performers, singing some of Jim's favorite songs. And Coddleston Pie, Frank Oz, sings. It's an A.A. A. Milne song. He even explains that, doesn't he? I yeah,
2: think. he does. He talks about Winnie the Pooh as an influence.
1: Yeah, how it's it's the song that Winnie the Pooh sings when his head is getting kind of fuzzy. I'm a big fan of Coddleston Pie. It's a fun song. It's a nonsense song. But uh, I think it's cute. Now, I, you know, I, I I, think, again, it's just another showpiece for Jim. And the, he, he Jim was really proud how he was able to fake the piano playing. Now we get to the panel discussion where, of course, you know, Kermit's the moderator and we're going to bring up a subject. And now here's where the pig subplot kind of it's almost it, this. What is interesting, though, is the pig subplot backstage kind of culminates on stage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It literally overlaps, right, where the backstage plot like kind of. Seeps in to the onstage bits because the what 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 is the topic for discussion?
0: Was William Shakespeare in fact Bacon?
1: This, of course, comes from the long-standing theory that Sir Francis Bacon—he was like a philosopher and a scientist and essayist. There was there was a long time a theory that he was actually William Shakespeare. That Shakespeare's works could be accredited to Francis Bacon. That theory no longer holds water. Now, there are a lot of people that think Edward de Vere, who was the 17th Earl of Oxford, they think he's the one who wrote Shakespeare. <laughs> Poor Bill Shakespeare will always have someone out there that they think wrote for him. And you can get in deep in the... I I, I looked it up today. You can get deep in the woods in uh, what's called the Ox, Oxfordian philosophy on Shakespeare. I haven't figured out why no one can believe just like Shakespeare
2: wrote him, but... I mean, I'm kind of burned out on conspiracy theories for this year, but.
1: (laughs) Yeah, kind of like, you know what? I'm starting to believe that Oswald acted alone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) With a magic bullet.
1: Yeah, the magic bullet. I completely believe in it. And and Shakespeare was just Shakespeare. (laughs) But of course, on the panel is Kermit, Floyd, Brewster, and Piggy. But of course, Piggy takes the word bacon (laughs) in a different way. And all of a sudden gets very offended that Kermit would say the word bacon in front of her.
2: I think she said that it was in poor taste and Florence disagreed. <laughs> and Florence said, no, bacon tastes great. I had it this morning. This is one where Florence
1: got to act a little goofy, mm-hmm. I thought. She got to be pretty funny. And so it, it ends up, like all these panel discussions, ends up almost in a brawl. Mm-hmm. But I did love that Piggy yells,
0: uh, Piggy, uh, Blank, please, Piggy, we don't have
1: time for that now. <laughs> so I thought that was cute. But then after they're all like, they're making a bunch of pig jokes and ham jokes. And I think Floyd tells her she's hogging all the spotlight or something like that. Then the bouncing Borsolino brothers come in because <laughs> they've apparently been listening. This is a thing on the Muppets, though. Whenever they try to be sophisticated, it never goes well, right? Mm-hmm. Was Shakespeare bacon? First of all, it's not a joke for kids. That's a joke for grown-ups. It's not even a joke for most grown-ups, to be fair. (laughs) But it's a joke for, like, college-educated grown-ups. But so Kermit's trying to, you know, have this literary discussion. As soon as Piggy hears the word bacon, it all goes to hell. And that's a very common trend with the Muppets. They never get to highbrow. (laughs) No. And then we get a little – we get a fun game of telephone backstage where uh, Kermit tells the Borsellino
2: brothers to knock it off, but, like – I, th- I think he literally said, "Will someone please tell them to knock it off?"
0: Knock it off! Knock it off! Knock it off! Now, will we knock off the knocking it offs? Knock off knock the knock knocking it off! Knock off the knocking it knock off! Knock it
1: off! Piggy comes back, and I wrote down "Piggy aggressive AF."
2: Yeah, we we have three different iterations of this particular interaction between Kermit and Piggy, where Piggy just goes for it. Well, she goes for it, but I. I'm trying to think of a way to present this tactfully. I, I guess there's an old archetype of comic-like sketch bits, where there's some sort of wild animal that gets more excitable as someone does something that would nominally deter someone from getting excitable.
1: Do, do pigs go in heat, get in heat? I don't know. Like dogs and cats? I gotta assume they do. Hey, Chad here. Um, of course, pigs go into heat. They go into heat every three weeks, pretty much after a sow reaches puberty. Your fun fact for the day, because like if that's the case, Piggy's definitely in heat in this episode.
2: She could just be feeling things. I don't know.
1: It's pretty aggressive. We get, I think, a funny, a funny uh, Fozzy sketch hmm. where he's he comes out to do some impressions, and they're all just the same mm-hmm. voice. He just
0: the next Terry Grant from all his movies. <laughs> Judy, Judy, Judy. I never said Judy, Judy, Judy.
1: Then we get, I think, the only musical number I really enjoyed in it, in this episode, which was um, Florence singing Happy Together, Mm the 1967 hit by the Turtles. I happen to love this song because I think it's got one of the more singable choruses in history.
2: I have a weird association with it because it was used in the first, uh, like the very first Super Smash Brothers commercial, like the first (laughs) version of the game, because the idea that you would have a a cross-franchise fighting game on nintendo at the time was completely unthinkable and so you just see mario donkey kong and yoshi i think pikachu skipping through a field as the song plays (laughs) really and then i think uh yoshi trips mario or something like that and they just start brawling as the song continues and so that's always been my first association with it but i think i've always really liked the song
1: here's my association with happy together my favorite filmmaker wong Kar Wai. One of his great films is a film called Happy Together, which is about two, two Chinese men and their torrid love affair they have where they're living in South America. <laughs> it's a very sexy movie, but also a very kind of self destructive movie. It stars the great Tony Lung, who's my favorite actor on the planet, and uh, the, late, the late Leslie Chung as the couple. And the trailer, and Wong Karwai's films are just visually spectacular. <laughs> the, I don't believe the song is actually in the movie at all, but it's in the trailer. And so the bump 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 bum bump bump the that always like reminds me of the trailer. But it's also just got a great sing-along chorus. Mm-hmm. In this case, Florence is joined by a basically a bunch of frackles. hmm Uh Lenny the Lizard, Snake Frackle, Gloat, slash Green Frackle, um uh, uh bopety, who's also, who's blue frackle, uh, Miss Kitty, Droop. Mm-hmm. I guess the idea of this bit is they're singing this kind of fun, happy song, so she's surrounded by monsters. But the problem is, to me, in in, in the Muppets, the monsters don't equal scary. <laughs> like
2: sometimes they do.
1: <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Maybe part of the problem with some of these episodes is that if it's just an actor, and again, I know she sings some, but if it's if if the if the guest star is an actor and they're not going to directly play on that, like when Mark Hamill comes on the show, he, he plays Luke Skywalker, right? Mm. But If you're Florence Henderson and you're not going to do Brady Bunch stuff, which I'm not saying she should, it's kind of like then they just go like, okay, here's a couple songs for you to sing. Yeah. To me, they didn't sculpt the episode around her well enough.
2: And I mean, even in the Rita episode, they didn't really sculpt it around her either, but she was able to own every scene that she was in.
1: Then we go backstage and we get more more spousal abuse.
2: Like full on spousal abuse, though. I think she stomps (laughs) him by the end of it.
1: Yeah, she she she. She beats him up pretty bad. He, he finally gets a couple jabs in at her.
2: Well, he's been trying to tell her no all episode. And the weird thing about it is, I think anytime we've seen Piggy's feet, she's wearing heels. Yes. So I'm pretty sure Kermit might have a couple of puncture wounds on the other side of this. <laughs> she, does,
1: uh, she does stomp him on. Yeah, he. Yeah, no, Piggy's always wearing heels. Unless sometimes she's wearing boots, but even those boots have heels. Um. <laughs> We get a little blackout with um, Sweetums telling Florence that he, he could really fall for her. And she goes, really? And then he just falls over. Hmm. Again, interstitial joke. Next up is a very familiar skit.
2: Yeah, uh, we, we've got the Gallia Hoop Hoop. And I, I was wondering, like, was that them just filling time? And if so... It's not filling
1: time. I mean, they remember, the Valentine special aired, but it wasn't a series, right? It just aired once. And they did re-record it. So, it is a new version of it. It's not the same. It's not the same one. I went back and I actually watched them side by side because apparently I have no life. Because I thought, because because watching it on this episode, I thought maybe it was like just the same audio track even. I don't think so. Like, Kermit's dialogue is word for word. <laughs> There's, I mean, literally word for word. The same as the Coosbane sketch in the Muppets uh, Valentine special. And in this, the exact same dialogue. Whether it's the same performance, I don't think my ear is trained well enough yet. Hmm. But I do know the monsters, Frank and Jerry, playing the Kuzbanians, it's mostly the same, but there's a few extra beats and elements thrown in there. So I don't think it's the same audio recording, but I could be wrong. Hmm. But besides that, it is the exact same sketch.
2: I did notice this time around, and maybe I, I caught it last time, I don't remember, But the babies they produce basically just look like Elmo. Like, you have a bunch of little Elmos there.
1: (laughs) They do kind of look like a couple little Elmos. (laughs) That's true. I mean, it's still a great sketch. It's still a great sketch. And if you hadn't seen the Muppet Valentine show, then this would be cool and fresh. And as we go along, we're going to see, like, a lot of the sketches that we've seen in the past, we're going to see on The Muppet Show. You know, eventually, they got, you know, they would be like, oh, I need two minutes. Give me Manamana, you know.
0: Once again, love comes to Coosbane.
1: Okay, so let's talk about this little end beat because we're very confused by it. They're doing the curtain call and um, Fozzie comes in and he says he's got a wire for Miss Henderson.
2: But we're skipping a beat, though, because right before that, Kermit talks about them shooting a love scene or something to that effect.
1: Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah, he said, we really enjoyed, I really enjoyed our love scene together. He might have been talking about the talk spot.
2: That's the, like, all of it's really nebulous. There's a lot of plausible deniability.
1: Comes in, he says he has a wire for Miss Henderson, which, of course, is an antiquated joke, right, to us now, wire, you know, uh, back in the day, uh, you know, a telegraph was basically the email, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for was, was our email for 100 years. And you would wire people money, and you'd wipe your messages. So, when he says, I've got a wire for you, okay.
3: No wire hangers. What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever?
1: I think at the end of the day, it's just a really bad pun on the fact that it's a wire. That it's it's just a bad joke by Fozzie.
2: <laughs> just give the benefit of the doubt.
1: I've got a I've got a wire for you. Here's a hanger. You know why? You know and and what looks like and what is. And what is recognizable instantly is being made of wire, but a hanger, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the joke. I, I hate to say, there's not a ton to say about this episode. It's not great.
2: It's also like the one, because the last one we watched was the Rita Moreno episode. So our pa- like maybe it's a palette cl- That's not charitable to say to.
1: Well, we watched Jim Neighbors too, but that one was good too. Was
2: Neighbors before or after Moreno? After. Sorry. It was after. Yeah, but it was the same. Ep- it was the same episode. It was the, was same the last episode. episode we recorded. It was right. the last
1: episode we recorded. So you know,
2: it's not one of their stronger ones, and we're seeing even six or seven episodes, and we've seen some pretty strong episodes.
0: It's the Muppet Show with our special guest star, Mr. Paul Williams.
1: I'm going to see if we go two for two. You knew who Florence Henderson was, and I know you knew who Paul Williams was.
2: Paul Williams is an interesting and paradoxical case because, like, The Rainbow Connection is one of my favorite songs. I knew he'd written that. I knew he'd been attached to the, Henson's, or the, to the Henson Company for a long time. I didn't realize just how much of a lot of the other things that have been very, very influential on me had been, or, like, that he'd been attached to. He was born uh, September 19th, 1940, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. And his his dad died when he was 13. So he ended up growing up on the East Coast. or Not the East Coast, excuse me, the West Coast with his aunt. And he'd moved to Long Beach and attended uh, Woodrow Wilson Classical High School. But the thing is, he had both a musical career and his acting career. And generally when I hear Paul Williams' name, I hear it in reference to his music, right? Yep. I didn't realize he'd written... Uh, I, I've i been a, a big Bowie fan for a long time. And uh, so Bowie had a song on Hunky Dory called Fill Your Heart, and I didn't realize that it was a cover, which Hunky Dory was one of Bowie's earlier albums. But the the thing with a lot of the, the guests that we've seen so far, they'll have long-reaching careers. They'll still be active maybe today in many cases. Like, Paul is also still active. But they're always sort of like, in, at least in terms of my personal experience, They're on a parallel track, and I don't see a lot of the stuff that they've touched. Paul Williams has just sort of been weaving in and out of my life, like, for years. Uh, He had a random bit on Dexter's Lab. Rainbow Connection is, as I said, one of my favorite songs. I've got a buddy that's been trying to get me to see Phantom of the Paradise for at least 10 years. And he's got a lot of songs that are still very present in cultural consciousness, like... uh, We've only just begun by the Carpenters. These are things that he wrote. Yeah. And then he also did a, a good amount of acting. I, apparently he was the villain in Phantom of the Paradise. He was also in Battle for the Planet mm-hmm. of the Apes, which I realize that I'm weird because Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes, is as important to me as I think Star Wars is to Chad, which is a weird thing. But it like I, I guess I just caught it at the right time.
1: I'll introduce my friend Derek. He's the biggest uh, Planet of the Apes fan I know. You're not the only one. You're not the only one.
2: I still have to track down that cartoon, though. So to, to go through, like, I have touched on a number of the different musical bits. The songs that he performed in the episode that we watched mostly weren't ones that I recognized. I think they were contemporary in the 70s, and people probably would yeah. have known what they were, but I they just sort of exist outside of my purview. And then his film and television career he composed and sang fine dreams for the animated secret of nim like obviously he was very involved with jim and the muppets and he was very involved with the muppet movie and the emmett otter's drug man christmas and he voiced the penguin in batman the animated series oh yeah
1: he did that's right he did i forgot about that he's also very well known because he he was in all the smoky and the
0: bandit movies now get the Texarkana and back in 28 hours that's no
3: problem it ain't never been done before, hot shit. Watch your language, little lady.
0: The problem is that Coors Beer, you take that east of Texas, and that's, uh, that's bootlegging. You not believe you're just a little bit scared? That's great psychology. Why don't you just say something bad about my mother?
2: Does Bert Reynolds ever actually host an episode of The Muppet Show? Because I feel like we've had at least two people so far who are like, but they just love Bert Reynolds. Like, there's going to be this weird sub-arc. Bert was not, um...
1: Bert didn't. I don't
2: think Bert had the right sense of humor. Oh. to put it that way. But he's been active as recently, uh, I think 2014, the last Daft Punk album came out. Where he was involved in the last Daft Punk album? He wrote one, of, or he sang on one of the most best songs on the album. It's this like, long, very rambling one called Touch, which makes sense. But like the collaboration of Paul Williams and Niall Rogers is something that I, I didn't really properly appreciate until i got to read about more of paul williams' back catalog.
1: And did he also have a documentary about him recently?
2: He did, and it's i've got a i've got to reference the title because i think it's something to the effect of he's not dead yet. Yeah, it's like i'm not dead yet or he's not dead, yeah. I haven't seen the documentary. I'll I'll have to track it down because he's like as a, an individual independent of his work with uh with Henson, he's really interesting.
1: And and a really good songwriter. <laughs> yeah. What's important about this episode though, like you've you said though, is that this is the beginning of his relationship with Henson. Henson was already a fan when he brought him onto the when, when they asked him to be a guest star. And this started a relationship that would lead to, like you've mentioned, the Rainbow Connection. I mean, not just him, by the way, is also with Kenny Asher. Mm. I believe is his songwriting partner that also wrote Rainbow Connection with him. But this is the beginning of a very fruitful relationship with the Muppets that is going to actually go beyond Jim's death
2: Hmm.
1: because uh, Paul Williams wrote all the great songs for the Muppet
2: Christmas Carol as well. Like the thing is the episode itself all kind of blurs together for me. And I, like I, I watched, like I I finished rewatching it this afternoon and it's, that's not to say that it's a bad episode, but like the entire, all of the jokes about Paul are just talking about how he's short. Paul Williams is five foot two. He was a really good sport about it, but it's, like, (laughs) there was was. no, it didn't seem like there was any progression or through line. So, uh, episode 108,
1: Paul Williams, uh, same director, same writers as before. Shot in June, it's 1976, debuted in October 1976. We do get a brand new spanking character in this one, though. It's
2: true, I've been looking for him for a while, but it's only half of it.
1: We get, well, yeah, uh, his, his, uh, his, his buddy's not gonna show up till season two. Uh But uh, we meet Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, uh, the mad scientist, genius, crazy person, whatever you think he is, the heads at Muppet Labs. He's named Bunsen Honeydew because, one, after a Bunsen Burner because he's a scientist, and two, because his head looks like a melon. He's, of course, uh, voiced in, and operated by Dave Goles, and He was designed, uh, sketched out by Jim, and then built by Dave Goals uh, in, in the Muppet Workshop. He seems to be a live hand puppet, and I couldn't find any information on who would be running his hands. Looking at the credits, my guess would be maybe John Lovelady. I can't imagine Frank or Jim coming in and doing arms for one of Dave's characters. There was a little bit of a hierarchy, you know? Hmm. It could be Richard maybe doing it, but if I had to put money on it, probably John Lovelady, but I couldn't find any... I couldn't actually find anything to tell me because if you watch it, it's obviously being operated by two people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You mentioned this before we started. We do see Robin in this for the first time on The Muppet Show.
2: But he's never named, though.
1: No, no. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that sketch. But we, we do technically see the Robin puppet again um, that we haven't seen since The Frog Prince.
0: Oh, brave Sir Robin.
1: The backstage story for this episode is that Fozzie is having a hard time writing jokes. Shocking. And so, Scooter recruits him to do what he calls the old
0: telephone pole bit. The old telephone pole bit? Oh yeah, it's the best. Well, I, I don't know. How it's, it's a classic. A, it's a classic. Yeah. Oh, oh, terrific! I can use it. Tell me, what is it what is, okay. it? what is it? Okay. The curtains open. That curtains open. The audience is there. The audience is there. There we are together, right there. Stage. We are together. You and I. Hold it. Ho 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 ho. We yeah. No, you don't understand. I see. I am a stand-up bear. Uh Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I, I work alone. Uh I tell the jokes on stage alone. Uh No, no, no. You don't tell jokes in the telephone pole bit. Why not? Well, you're the telephone pole.
1: And this is going to be our running gag behind the scenes. It's going to be, our backstage story is going to be Scooter and Fozzie prepping to do the telephone pole bit. They do not tell us what the telephone pole pole bit is. Everyone seems to know what it is except for Fozzie, but we'll get to the punchline later and then we will discuss the punchline and see and see uh, see if we could do that today. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a lot going on with the punchline to the telephone pole bit. There's a lot going on. If you notice, if you watch this on the DVDs, you have your introduction, and then Kermit comes out and introduces the guest star, and then there's a really weird cut. That's because an entire musical number was cut out of the DVD. And so there's this weird, awkward edit where Kermit basically says like, Paul Williams is our guest star. And then it cuts like there's no because normally that's when he would introduce the next sketch. And he did. Mm. And what was originally there was a sketch. It's a song called All of Me, which was like an old standard that was mostly a song known for known as a Sinatra song. It was basically just two monsters. One of them is singing the song All of Me, a song about giving someone all of you. And while he's doing it, he's taking a piece of, of himself off at a time. And, and his his lover is putting it into a trunk.
2: Well, I mean, at least he could commit. I don't, I, I was watching it on the DVD, so I didn't see this bit. But.
1: I make myself go look, try to find these little pieces that got cut out. What I did read on the Muppet Wiki, it said that uh, it was, it's because it's all done in one shot, mm. but they did 22 takes of it. Wow. To get it right. But it was cut and it's, it's, it's a, it does make a weird edit. Uh, At the beginning, and um, it was was, was fine. But again, it's just worth noting that there was this whole opening sequence. Um, There are some of these cuts on the DVDs. I just don't know why. I'm like, it's not like they were running out of room on the DVD. Like I said, backstage, Fozzie is trying to come up with an act, and Scooter says, Well, let's do the the classic telephone pole bit. And that's, like I said, that's going to kind of carry on through the whole thing. Then we get to Paul Williams' first number, which I think is awesome.
2: It was probably my favorite part of the episode, and it's something I don't, I can't put my finger on why.
1: It's just fun. Paul, they sing, Paul sings a song that he wrote called "Old fashioned Loves, An Old Fashioned Love Song, which was a song he wrote, but it was a hit for the uh, group Three Dog Night. Hmm. It peaked on the Billboard charts at number seven in 1971. It's a pretty, it was a pretty popular song. And Paul sings it along with two Muppet likenesses of himself. If you remember in those first two episodes we watched, there were they made a, a puppet out of Juliet Prowse and a puppet out of Connie Stevens. Mm-hmm. And that was kinda and they kind of abandoned that, you know, the uh, idea that every episode they would meet their doppelganger. They abandoned that. But they do have and, and so Paul's Paul's just kind of in like a dressing room basically?
2: It seems like a bedroom. Like I I remember seeing a bed in the background, but
1: Yeah, maybe it's a bedroom or a study or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sing, he sings it with two caricatures of himself and also the Guggalala Jubilee jug band who we've met before, joined by the Jerry Nelson puppet, I believe was also
2: I can never tell if it's Jim or Jerry unless they're both on stage at the same time.
1: I don't know uh, having the the having the two different versions of him, and obviously he's tracking he's tracking the vocals for all three of them mm. in the mix I, I, it's it's a it's a sweet song and and it's uh, it's a very representative, I think of Paul Williams music. But like you said, he wrote a lot of songs for other people. A guy like Paul Williams, which is kind of cool when they do shows like this, is they get to sing songs that like they wrote, but nobody knows they wrote it. Hmm. Paul did get to keep one of the Muppets that they made of him. He says it's still sitting on his piano to this day, but it's still it's getting kind of (laughs) faded. Now we have a first and we got our very first, like we talked about before, our very first Muppet Lab sketch. Oh, I wanted to point something out actually real quick. At the end of the old-fashioned love song, they cut to Statler and Waldorf. And one of them says
0: He's a credit to his race.
2: Yeah, that was awkward.
1: And they, but I mean they make a joke out of it where mm. he says, What do you what's it what race is that? And he says the hundred yard dash. So they make a joke out of it, mm. but that phrase credit to his race is always cringeworthy.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I mean they're playing up the fact that Statler and Waldorf are older, but still
1: Are they Nazis? Like we had a reference to the Kaiser back in the Sex and Violence pilot with them. And I just wonder, like, are we supposed to think that they're like old Nazi war criminals or
2: something? They might just be good Germans? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're the good Germans.
1: So, then we go, we see, We have our first appearance of Muppet Labs, where the feature is being made today. So, we meet Bunsen for the first time. No, he does not have an assistant. When everybody thinks about Bunsen Honeydew, they think about his his hapless assistant, but uh, we will not meet him for a little while. Muppet Labs sketches are just You know, they're in a lab and Bunsen has an invention that usually does something horrible to his assistant. In this case, though, he has just made all-purpose tenderizer.
2: Welcome to Muppet Labs, where the future is being made today. Folks, let me take just one moment of your time to acquaint you with a fascinating new product. It's Muppet's all-purpose tenderizer. Now, you can use it on all sorts of dishes. For example, dishes like this one here.
1: Which uh, can make anything soft, and he uses it on... What, a plate?
2: There was the initial plate that he smashed, and then another one that he was able to roll up afterward. And then I think it was like a ladle, or maybe like a spatula.
1: You <laughs> reminded me of the Matrix, but yeah. yeah.
3: Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no
0: spoon.
1: The table ends up being tenderized to, I don't know. It doesn't have a great, it doesn't have a great punchline at the end. Then I think there's a funny bit with Rolf, a poem by Rolf entitled Silence. And Rolf addresses the audience and and he's going to tell us this poem that's, I don't know, how do you, it's like an ode to silence, right? An ode to quiet,
2: I guess? Yeah. It's a nice reflective poem for people that have the space and quiet to reflect on things.
1: But of course, uh, it's nothing but distraction and chaos
0: behind him while he's doing it and sweeps away the sound of creatures crying in the night. Ah, 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 creatures crying ah, in the night. And cry we must, for we have ah, tasted the forbidden ah, fruit. Ah, ah, <laughs> yes. ah, but lo, lo, the faceless ah, name, the... Ah, the ah, faceless ah, name, ah, the nameless ah, faces whisper. Ah, Ah! Ah! Uh, Ah! Ah! but, but overall but overall the blessed silence falls sweet serpentines of silence singing their sad song isn't
1: janice is there and floyd's there and george is like sweeping up around him
2: scooter comes in with the radio
1: yeah, they're all just making noise. And at the end, Kermit comes in and...
0: Hi, uh, could you hold it down, Ralph? We're trying to do a show here.
1: <laughs> very rare interaction between Ralph and Kermit. True. I'm guessing that someone else is operating Kermit in that moment would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But very rare interaction between the two of them. You don't get to see that often. Then we have a little blackout piece where... Oh, uh, so, Yeah, so like we said, Paul Williams is, is a short man. And so he basically just addresses the audience and tells them that he wanted to be on the Muppet Show so he could be the tallest person on the show. But that doesn't work out because who shows up It's some?
2: Sweetums, uh, thog and then one of the, from the Connie Mutations. Yeah, mutations.
1: Yeah, and he kind of gets sad because now he's, now he's a short guy again.
2: For the first time in my life,
3: I will cry in front of 30 million people.
1: <laughs> then we find Fozzie backstage practicing being a telephone pole. It's almost like a... It's almost like he's in an acting class mm-hmm. and Hilda kind of makes fun of him and said, uh, but then uh, he goes, she's like, no one believes you're going to be, you would be a telephone pole. And then like a literal lineman comes in, <laughs> like a, a telephone lineman singing uh, Wichita Lineman, which is an old Glenn Campbell song and uh, proceeds to like, basically put a telephone wire on Fozzie as he stands there. So, you know, what does Hilda know? <laughs> so we get another at the dance, It's more like, you know, George and Mildred again, and Piggy with another pig, and um, Janice is dancing with Floyd, I think, it. That
2: was Floyd, it was uh, Zoop.
1: And then it ends, okay, we have to talk about Animal's abuse of women. So this this bit ends with Animal asking if his partner wants to to go- To take a trip, I, I think. And to be fair, he never asks anyone to do anything he won't do himself.
2: Oh, no, no, he went down with her.
1: So he asks he asks his, his uh his date, his dance partner if she wants to take a trip. And uh he she says sure, and he slams them both down to the floor, basically. This is it coming on the heels of several of these at the, at the dance sketches where Animal is an overzealous dipper when he's dancing, right? Whenever he it's been multiple times where he's dancing, and when he dips his partner, they hit their head on the floor. Um again, I don't think any of this is malicious. <laughs>
2: He's just a ball of chaos.
1: Yes. um, They will find better ways to use that chaos later, as opposed to him just kind of beating up. I don't mean to make it sound like more worse than it is, but him beating up just, you know, random women puppets. Well, he's (laughs) he's a bull in a china shop. He's just. Well, he doesn't know where to stop him. He's pure. He's pure id, right? Hmm. He's not. He, he doesn't have limits. so it, But it is it is just interesting that, like, so far, most of the violence we've seen. I mean, you know, well, we've already passed fever, which is, you know, one of his great moments. But, um, but you know, it's at the dance. It's always what it is. Then we get to the, this week's UK spot, which is a song called I'm in Love with the Big Blue Frog. Which was a song I believe was uh, made famous by Peter, Paul and Mary, the <laughs> folk group. Where did all these frogs come from? The Frog Prince. It's like all the frogs from the Frog Prince. Including Kermit and Little Robin.
0: Oh brave Sir Robin.
1: <laughs> and uh they're kind of singing the background to this this kind of kind of funny song. Do you know what's weird though? Kermit really stands out. Like he almost shouldn't be in the bit.
2: I agree he stands out. I don't know if he shouldn't be in the bit though.
1: It's just weird because it's like Kermit's in the background is like part of the chorus. Kermit's eyes are different from the other frogs. The other frogs don't have collars.
2: But he also, it's not accurate to say that he has solos, but he, he tends to chime in at points after a moment of silence that actively draw more attention to him. So I don't think he was ever intended to blend in. You know,
1: as, as they evolved Kermit more and more and more, those frogs kind of got stuck in the stone age. Hmm. And, um, but yeah, it, it definitely appears to be the frogs left over from the frog prince, um, you know, Gwayne and all those characters. Remember in the original, that we've never seen, but in the original, original pilots for the actual show, the opening also had like a chorus of frogs. The the opening song, which was was like originally twice as long, Hmm. had these frogs in it as well. Then we have a a talk spot. Again, it's just about Paul Williams being
2: short. (laughs) Yeah. And Kermit trying and failing to make him feel better.
0: Yeah, and you know what? You're not going to hear any jokes about your being little bitty and small and cute and all that sort of thing like you are. You're not going to hear that coming from me. <laughs> you promise? No.
3: that's little guys got to stick together. Oh,
0: yeah, listen. And besides it. that, there have been a lot of famous people who were small in size. It's true. Sure, like Napoleon. Uh, Truman Capote? Uh, Mickey Rooney.
1: Napoleon, Truman Capote, and Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Interesting group of cats. Um, I'd watch that talk show appearance.
2: <laughs> Keeping it short.
1: That uh, Truman Capote was great on talk shows. I don't know how Napoleon was. Kermit tells some story about somebody with a, a oh, about the inventor of the elevator shoe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and at the end he uh, pushes a button on Paul, and Paul goes flying out. Yeah, I guess he's on wires.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was on wires. Like I don't know if you saw him, but and they just yank him out of the frame. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't go up and back. He went straight up. I think.
1: Yeah, he's got to be wired to a crane above the set, and they just kind of yank him up. It is a weird moment. <laughs> It's a very weird moment. I don't know. It's a talk spot. It doesn't have a whole lot going on. Backstage, Fozzie is still in his method acting, trying to master the art of being a telephone pole um, when he gets a visit by a woodpecker. So, he's apparently doing a very good job. Now, Paul Williams was also an actor. And so, here comes a comedy bit with him and um, the monster known as Beautiful Day Monster is the technically the monster's name. Beautiful Day Monster was mostly, like, he, he got that name because he was in a skit called A Beautiful Day on the Ed Sullivan Show. And so, he never was really given another name. So, he's just Beautiful Day Monster, which is very awkward. And he's trying to buy a ticket to Pittsburgh. Pulse is like the travel agent.
3: Mm-hmm. I can send you to Pittsburgh first class on a supersonic jet for $764. You got anything cheaper? I can send you to Pittsburgh coach class on a subsonic jet for 511 got anything cheaper i can send you to pittsburgh excursion economy an old prop job for about 398 you got anything cheaper yeah i can send you to pittsburgh standing room only on a broken down old bus for about 75 bucks
2: and at the end he squishes him he drops like a five ton weight on him and then tries to mail him out (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, because the cheapest way would be to mail him. It's all right. I think it would have been better with a, a more of an actual comedian.
2: It also kind of feels like it would have benefited from the rule of three. It, it seemed like it went on a little too long.
1: It could be a little, could be a little shorter. Hey, look, it's the talking houses again. <laughs> Th- this time, uh, this time, it has something to do with a woman being as uh, one of the houses is very religious and. Uh,
3: uh, My mother is very religious. She's a fanatic. No, she's a church. <laughs>
1: So here we get a Wayne and Wanda bit singing what are they singing? Oh, You Do Something to Me, which is an old Cole Porter song. And Wayne is sawing <laughs> Wanda in half. You do something to me is like a it's like a love song, but I think it's a love song that uses like magical imagery in it. And so I, I think the the idea is that during that song he's doing a magic trick, mm. cutting the woman in half. <laughs> and, then, and then she just and then eventually she just goes, ow! And this gets o- sketches over. Mm-hmm. They, again, they can't... They're, ter- they're They're the worst performers on The Muppet Show.
2: This time, it's like, usually it's just sort of like a force majeure thing. Like, either a storm comes in or their boat starts to sink. In this case, he's actively working toward them not being able to complete the sketch, though. Because like, <laughs>
1: He's actively sawing his girlfriend in half.
2: <laughs> it's like, this is how it works in Vegas, right? I've seen it a thousand times. I know how it works.
1: I take that back, by the way. I don't know if they're dating. That's unfair of me. Yeah, uh you know, they're always singing love songs to each other, but who knows. So then um, we get a Muppet News Flash. Uh, again, one of these Muppet News Flashes where he interviews the guest star. And this one is just, um, he interviews Paul Williams about nothing.
2: Yeah. Framed as an unusual story. Uh,
3: well, it was about a week ago when <coughs> I was sitting at home watching television. It must have been about nine o'clock. <coughs> Suddenly the phone rang. Well, I picked it up. But there wasn't anybody there. So I hung up, and then I went back to watching the television. Darnest thing.
1: So then they're backstage after that, and uh, Fozzie has find- finally figured out what the telephone bowl- pole bit is and doesn't want to do it. And he's like, we're, we're going to die out there. We're going to die out there. And Scooter's <laughs> like, we're not going to die out there. And then I thought it kind of a funny visual joke. Is there two two vultures mm-hmm. <laughs> waiting for them? Which actually just look like frack- I think they're like frackles with wings put on them.
2: Yeah, it's like not quite a skeksis.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of in that realm. Now we get to the telephone pole bit. So the whole so this whole time we've been trying to figure out what the telephone pole bit is, and we come out on stage, and Fozzie is dressed like a telephone. It's like a payphone specifically. Like yeah, like a payphone for. For for those kids in the audience, a payphone is something you used to put quarters into.
2: Hello, and what's
0: your name? Mike Osnowitzki. Oh, so you're the telephone pole. <laughs> that completely went
1: over my head. He has a Polish yeah. telephone. There's a couple layers here. Now, when I was a child, I'm sure it's still like this. Polish jokes, Polak jokes as we called them, were kind of like... You know, they were racist jokes. They were they were not nice jokes. Now, when I grew up in Ohio, we didn't tell Polish jokes. We told West Virginia jokes. We told West Virginia
2: jokes in Virginia as well.
1: Did you hear West Virginia is throwing grenades over the river and into Ohio and we're pulling the pins out and throwing them back? (laughs) That's bad. So normally, Polish jokes are about Poles being stupid. Right. And they're considered pretty offensive and they should be. This is not a joke about a Polak being offensive. (laughs) It's just a joke about a telephone that happens to be Polish. Here's where I'm going to blow your mind. Do you know what remember what Frank Oz's father's name is? It's was Mike, wasn't it? Mike Oznowitz. And in this, he is Mike Osnowitzki. So it's Frank Oz whose father is Dutch Polish. So Frank Oz, Frank Oz was Dutch Polish and Flemish, I think his mom was Flemish. And so it's totally just like a shout out to his dad in that moment who if you remember was also a puppet enthusiast and a puppeteer. At first I kind of cringed cuz I was like oh it's like a polish joke cuz again I'm just I don't train to like I didn't recoil hear at polish jokes
2: a lot of or any polish jokes but then again I don't know if I knew a lot of polish people.
1: Yeah, uh, usually you didn't know any that's why you told them. Yeah. <laughs> um uh it's just like, again yeah, I I don't know if it's a thing now. In the 80s when I was growing up it was just kind of like how to put this delicately, it was like, it was like as racist of a joke as you could tell without being racist, considered racist. Like they are jokes that you could easily sub any minority group into or any ethnic group into, because they're just jokes about people being stupid. Like West Virginians who are all very stupid.
2: Uh, As we just lost a good chunk of our interesting listenership. That's fine. (laughs) They don't,
1: they don't, they don't get the internet down on those hollers. So, I'm sorry. I'm an Ohio boy. I can't help it. I can't help it. And then we get our closing number which is Sad Song, uh, which is a 1974 song by Paul Williams again and his uh, writing partner, Kenny Asher. And it's just a musical number.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was nice. It was a nice like closing number.
1: Yeah, Paul and the cast just sing it together. Yeah, and then, then they say goodbye. There's not a whole lot to the end there. A couple of quick notes. This episode was actually nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Writing in a comedy variety or music series. I think it's the first Emmy nomination that the show got, other than Rita Moreno, probably. Interesting. We know she got one. I like this episode better than the Florence Henderson one, just because I think that it, like I said, it it leaned into its guest star at least a little bit more. Mm -hmm. All the songs he sang were songs that he had written, you know, A Big Blue Frog. He had not written, but he's not in that scene, but he sang a couple of his songs. And I can't help but have a soft spot for the episode.
2: Yeah. Like it's, I think if I'd been, if I'd researched him before watching the episode, it might've hit differently. Like for me, the short joke's Weren't offensive, but it felt a little repetitive after a certain point.
1: Just made me excited, knowing where we're going with Paul Williams and, and how this relationship is starting with him and Jim. And the old-fashioned love song segment with the the three Pauls singing, um, it's, a, it's a pretty classic scene.
2: Next time, Good Grief, The Comedian's a Bear. So, next
1: episode, our guests will be – we're going to be watching episodes 109 and 110 with Charles Aznavour and Harvey Corman as our guest stars. Charles Aznavour, I'm going to tell you, I didn't know anything about him and doing my research, crazy life. Like, this guy is bigger than if – you, if you don't know who he is, you're going to be stunned.
2: I have no idea who
1: he is. His resume is incredible. And I would like to apologize in advance to my friend, Sarah, if I mispronounce any of the Armenian names that I'm going to have to try to say uh, next time, because I love the Armenian people, but man, the way they spell their words is, uh, it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's real tough for uh, my American brain. Two more episodes down. We're checking along. Moving right along. Yep. <laughs> We're moving right along. Exactly check us out on social media and the website. Uh, I'm Chad. I'm Nick. And uh, we'll 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 talk to you in I guess 2 weeks. A feat of lunatic daring is written and produced by Chad J Shank and hosted by Chad J Shank and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podowitz. And a proud production of
0: Antithesis P- Audio. Yeah, this show is good for what ails me. Yeah. Well, what ails you? Insomnia. <laughs>